condition today in the studio we have tucson arizona's finest zachy force funk hey 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 and he's going to be talking about his life and his brand new album body rock shotgun coming out on mo funk records all right so zach let's talk about your life how you got started listening to music the type of things that influenced you early on um, were you born in Tucson, Arizona originally? I was born in Tucson, Arizona, and then we moved to Portland, Maine when I was four for like a year or two. And that's like, you know, when you're like four, three or four, five-ish, that's kind of when you kind of start having your memories. At least me, I can't really remember that too much earlier than that. But yeah, I mean, even then, those were like always music memories, even if like in, back in Maine, you know? Okay. And... You were in Maine for what, like a year or something? Yep, or? yep, yep. And then straight back to Tucson? Yep, my parents divorced and my mo- mother came back. I and mean, that's We moved back to 29th Street and stayed there until about four years ago, for about 40 years. Okay, so I've actually never been to Tucson before in my life, but I've been to other parts of Arizona. But I know that it kind of has a, a reputation as being sort of a, a tough town. Um, it's a border town. Yeah, so... What were some experiences that you had growing up, things that caught your mind, like things that really maybe shaped you? I just knew things were different. Well, obviously, you're going from back east to, like, the border towns of the southwestern part of the United States. There's definitely a difference. But, like, I guess when we were kids, my, my uncle was a uh, – he worked on a ranch. He was a bull rider. And uh, he would always bring us, like, family functions to the ranch for us to party. And, like, all the kids would, like, go play cowboys and Indians, and we would make, like, forts – 
out of what we thought were like hail bale, you know, hay bales at the time. And we did that for years. And it wasn't until you're like nine or 10, you start noticing that these hay bales were like, they're not hay, they actually have a different smell. You learn that it's like, you're actually playing inside of a, a barn that has like maybe two tons of marijuana, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's stashed there, you know what I'm saying? And so that's when I started figuring out that, you know, <laughs> maybe things are a little bit different than they are back in Boston and Portland, Maine, you know? Yeah. You know, that's, and so, yeah, that's how we grew up. And then I guess as you got older, um, like what type of things were you getting into? What type of music were you listening to? Um, when my parents divorced, me and my brother would fly back every summer. So, you know, it, would, it was super cool because like out here, believe it or not, so this is going to bring up Egyptian Lover, but I really was like into Egyptian Lover because there was this radio station in Tucson called KXCI. It was a community radio station, 91.3. And every Saturday night, they would uh, play nothing but like all the popping. This is like 1981, 80-ish. And they'd play all the dopest, you know, hip hop stuff. And because my uncles were like older, all into break dancing, so we knew about it. I always record, and the, the dopest songs we'd ever hear that I want always wanted to record was like the Egyptian Lover and stuff like that. But then we'd go out to like, you know, during the summertime, we'd go out and see my dad, and it was all they really wouldn't mess with that. It was all about like Run DMC, LL Cool J, stuff like that, you know. So there was a definitely difference, but we soaked it all in. Even like different cultures, like being on the ranches, we listen to North Daniel music, you know. Though some of the craziest gangster you could ever hear is actually banda music from Mexico, you know. It's yeah, totally. all about it's all about you know, cartels. Yeah, I mean, I remember I, I had no idea about banda music, and mm -hmm. then people told me like this lyrics about like this drug dealer, like right. this kingpin, and like it's talking about like him decapitating this fool, right. like leaving him in the street for right. everyone to see, and I was like, oh, crazy. Then you go from that, and my dad like like I said lived like on you know northeastern you know parts of America it was all like super soft you know like yacht rock. We he like listened to Chicago and you know things like that. But even that stuck to me. Like that's how I learned about Daryl Hall and John Oates, who's like one of my favorite bands ever. But he like played them a lot when I was same era. You know, talking right. eighty one, eighty two, and I just thought, man, their melodies are some of the greatest melodies ever vocally and you know musically yeah. like that era you know like it was just amazing to me yeah so traveling to, yeah between those two spots totally. you kind of got like a different sort of like musical upbringing I both places to it all you know what i'm saying yeah and then were you like rapping or anything like that or doing no, i mean any any I, any I type was, were you in a band or anything no, like that i just i was just when we came out here it was just different it was more into like pop locking and like i guess maybe that's how funk got into me because my uncles were all into funk and like you know low riders and the whole troll culture that you see now was part of that and that's right. what you know that's what we would do on sunday nights you'd see the cruising you know south sixth or we do reed park if you're even younger i don't want to say how old i really am i guess but before south Sixth tucson which was like the main cruising thing we had reed park but that's what we did on sunday nights part of tucson culture was you'd go out on sunday nights and check out the lowriders on sunday nights um you'd hear funk music oldies um things like that you would hear the pop lockers pop locking to you know iced tea uh, Egyptian lover and that's when I was like oh I want to pop you know my brother was a break dancer but and so I just like that more than the East Coast type of vibe you know a little yeah. bit different you know were there like DJs or crews yep. or radio hosts uh, that like kind of yep. had an influence in that era it's crazy you bring that up because the guy's name who had that show on KXCI was uh, his name was Scotty Pop Funk you know what I'm saying? So people, a lot of people ask me how I came up with that name. It was actually a joke between me and my brother, but it was still based off of Scotty Papa Funk, you know. But uh, Scotty Mills, Scotty Mills, he was like a you know, great DJ back in the day. But we also, you know, growing up after that, you're talking 15 years later, you have, you know, Z Trip and other people like that from Arizona. So. Yeah. <laughs> 
like you know yeah. 11 years old around then you know yeah and then things start changing then things start changing what what started changing for you because then i started like you know it was just different you could just like i remember like motley crew uh smoking in the boys room came out and then like metallica started coming out you could just start feeling like heavy metal just started really taking over the elementary school i was going to and so it was just like a different vibe, man. Like things were just changing in the music scene. It was just weird. You would see like the Beastie Boys with Slayer in the video because of Rick Rubin and like things were like just coming together. It was just a weird time, um, you know. So that's when I started like listening to a lot of heavy metal. Yeah, it seemed like the late 80s, early 90s, like you didn't have to choose sides nope. in terms of like music. It was just kind of mm-hmm. like what was cool on the radio and what was played on MTV. Right. Like you could like metal, right. you could like rap, like right. you could kind of... Right. Yeah, and like a lot of the rap dudes dress kind of metal, right? And like vice versa. I think it was just the whole stoner thing for me. I came around, like I said, it was like culture. My family just growing up, you know, like I said, you know, being around marijuana and drugs the whole life. Like when I was maybe hit like seventh grade, you go from elementary to like junior high, didn't want to be like nervous and stuff. And I saw that only people who were like smoking weed were like the stoners and stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. The bad stoner kids. So I just kind of like vibe with them at the time, and I was just like. Oh man, this heavy metal stuff's kind of cool, you know. Those early Metallica, the first two early Metallica records are just still the best to me. Um, so how old were you when you first uh, smoked weed? Maybe ten. Ten years 10, old. And how 10. did how did you smoke your first joint or what? Yo, what, what did you smoke? Was that like a can or something? <laughs> it was a can. Yeah, that's me too. It was a can. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think I was faking it the whole time with a bunch of kids at the park and they kind of knew it. They're like, you're faking it, little kid. They're like, no, take a hit. Hold it, we're watching. And I blew out a hit and I was like, whoa. Yeah, this is real. <laughs> yeah. You know? Um, and then what was like high school like for you? High school was a bad time for me, man. I go into three different high schools in Tucson. I was getting arrested like crazy, selling crazy amount of drugs, smoking a lot of crack. I mean, just getting in trouble, getting my, my uncle got his hand shot off in front of me. It was just a bad time, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So that was like wild, wild, wild years. Wild West. Early. The NWA yeah. just came out. Like, it was just chaos. Right. Complete chaos. And was that kind of like your own doing? Like, you were just kind of getting in trouble? Or were there like older dudes that were sort of like yeah, kind of both, bringing both. you around and You stuff? know, the streets are always like that. You're always yeah, going to have yeah. the older homie in the streets you want to look up to. Yeah. And like the, where we were at wasn't, you know, the greatest part of town, you know? Right. Did you graduate from high school? I did. You Six did? Months. Yep. My right. mom, like, the last couple years, she was just like, you know what? You know, my dad died, you know, when I was a kid. Okay. She's like, you know, you got to at least do that for your dad. So then my mom sent me to a, a private school that costed money. And I don't want to, like, my mom spending money, like, for no reason. So, like, I was always a smart kid. So I just smoked it and did, like, you know, seven or eight classes. Like, caught up and got all A's. And I actually only graduated six months late with, like, all A's. And I actually got into the UNLV and U of A. 
um, it was a great time for my family, you know, to, to show that, you know what I'm saying, that I could pull that off. And then as soon as, right before, I, I chose UNLV just to get away from Tucson. And like four weeks later, I ended up in prison. So <laughs> that went that whole opportunity. How did you end up in prison, if you don't mind? Um, I was taking drugs back east. I see you were transporting. Yeah, transporting, okay. and it got busted back east, and that was it. Okay. And I was already on uh, probation for crack cocaine. So I got busted with it, you know, small amount, but it stuck as a charge. And uh, I was only 18 when they were like, I'm sorry, I was only 17, but because it was crack cocaine and I was close to my birthday, they just waited until I was 18 and then charged me. Uh, so they charged and, you as an adult? Yeah, they charged me as an adult. I always forget about that, you know what I'm saying? I was like, I just, I didn't think about it as if it was a charge, you know? So I was just wild, growing crazy, just driving and sending weed all across the country back then. And then it got popped over there and I was like, holy crap, I, got, I actually have two felonies. You know, I'm like 19 years old, two serious felonies. And they were like, oh, no, 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 you're going to prison. You're not getting probation again. I was like, well, no way. <laughs> They're going to prison. So did you kind of like, at that point, you sort of knew like you were going to be going away for yeah. a while? Or no, you were, totally. Yeah. They're totally. Because we ended up getting a lawyer and, you know what I'm saying? I was so young that at least they didn't put me, I, you know, I was able to get out, bond out and stuff like that for a little while. You know, I had a tape that I had to, you know, really uh, turn myself in, stuff like that. So, yeah, I knew I was going away. And how long was uh, how long did you get sentenced for? The first time was four years. And where did you go? I started at in um where was it at? Oh man, what's the name of it? It was in Winslow. Okay. Oh, Apache Unit. It was in Winslow, <laughs> Winslow, Arizona, Apache Unit. But I only I only did six months there. I did most of my time at SMU. in there that's when like rap city was like really big you're talking like nine i got out in i went in in 1994 and i got out in 1997 like the beginning of 97 and this is when i was like you know oh my god but like biggie tupac 
Biggie yeah, Tupac. No, this like, I got out right when the Biggie Tupac thing was happening, and uh, yeah, that's like I was like big thing was like clothing lines. And I didn't even know nothing about like DJing and graffiti things at the time. I just wanted to come out and have this record, you know, a clothing store that sold like Pelly Pel, Fubu, Carl Kanai, stuff like that's that. Kanai, yeah, and so I did. I would come out here to L.A. and go to the. Uh, fashion district and get a bunch of bootleg stuff and take it back to tucson and just and i started it you know and that's that's when like my I guess i like, get my, my music stuff started popping off too so you were selling clothes basically selling like clothes. like kind of like hip-hop style yeah, all hip-hop like, style yeah and i was kind of like a front too i didn't mean to go back into drugs but i knew it was going to be like a good front if i needed to be right you know what i'm saying and it was a good way for me to get out i always was kind of popular around town anyway even i've always been popular in tucson you're going to so many different high schools and being locked up in so many different places as a kid and stuff like that it's always, you know, it's small, not a big town, you know what I'm saying? Not even a million people. So the store did well. But, you know, then I just started, it was weird because uh, it was all these like taggers and like graffiti kids started coming up and asking me for like break dancing uh, DVD. I mean, no, there weren't even DVDs back then, but like, yeah, you know, VHS tapes yeah. or like graffiti tips and like things like that. And I was like, whoa, like, I don't even know that was like a thing. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I thought that was when I was, I was a young child, you know? And so I would just get it there. I was like, the internet wasn't even a big thing. I think it was just barely starting. But, you know, there were some like graffiti magazines that I would like literally check out the ads and call a 1-800. And, be like, and they would send me like a thousand tips, you know, and I would send them like a COD for like a hundred bucks or something, you know. Yeah. But things like that. And so it was just like the next thing I know, I was like, holy cow, the markup on that was insane. Like you spend 10 bucks for a thousand tips. You sell three tips for a dollar. You do the math. Yeah. You know, and then I started thinking about like started getting, you know, like I did. I started getting breakdancing DVDs and then I, the people started me for DJ DVDs and all, you know, yeah, VHS I mean, like things. scratch pickles. Yeah, and it was stuff a like huge that, thing. Yeah. The beat junkies and the scratch pickles, and I was just like, "Whoa, man, this is insane!" I'm sitting here in the, you know, the store, 10, 12 hours a day, you know, selling things, and I'd put the stuff on, you know, as atmosphere, and it was just, I got it, yeah, you know, I got addicted to it. Everyone did. And it went from like this whole like jiggy puffy let me sell fubu clothes to like all the drug dealers, and I still did, you know, all of my drug dealer friends still came in there and I hooked them up. Um, but then it was more, I was more into like, you know, let me go into this graffiti. Let me start DJing. I want to start learning how to beat juggle because it was like, I don't know. It kept me away from like the whole like illegal thing. You know what I'm saying? I just didn't want to. It kept me out of trouble almost. I could just tell. It was either like, let me go hang out with these drug dealer friends and go out to the club and be all jiggy. Or I can go out with these other kids who are sitting in the cypher and not getting in trouble. Just like styling out, you know, doing dope tags or whatnot. It just, I don't know, appealed to me more. Yeah, and in a way, it was like the customer was kind of like schooling you into like yeah. things to be interested in. Totally, totally. So, what was the name of the store? The, the first one was Planet Z. Planet Z. Yeah. And how long did Planet Z run for? That was for like three or four years on East Tucson. East Tucson. Yeah, it was like three and a half years. Were there other like shops like that in the area, or no, were you kind of like, like the, the only first one in the whole city? Court? Not like that at that point, like that big. So it was like I, you know, I had some you know <laughs> drug yeah. money. Like it was a kind of a big shop. Kind of a nice shop, you know. I ended up getting a smaller one. I get uh, had another record store after that. Actually, it was like a real record store after that, but like it was way like half that size. You know what I'm saying? And just for reference, like how old were you at this time? This about? time I was 97, so I was like uh, 20. I don't know. Let me see. I was born in 74, 97, 23. 23. Yeah, okay. So 23, 24. Young entrepreneur on the rise. <laughs> old man already already well schooled <laughs> yeah you, you, know? you weathered at 23 oh gosh people were just like like when those mafiosos see that you own a store they're just like they want to just give you drugs because they know you're not going to run anywhere and they know if they need to something they'll take the store away from you so yeah, like they can always find yeah you. you're talking tucson on the border people were just like being bring truckloads of drugs by and be like can you help me get rid of this i was like holy 
Nah, man, I'm cool right now. Did any of your customers from that era end up being like anyone famous uh, or, you know? Z Trip like, used to come all Z -Trip the time. Came Z Trip. Yeah. Merz actually bought the store. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, Merz would come by Living all the time with right? the back yeah. tie. No one worked harder than that kid, so he deserves it probably better than anybody. And so, what ended your, uh, I guess, tenure of running Planet Z? Um, well, Planet Z, uh, I was getting, I was starting to, well, I started selling drugs again. <laughs> Okay. And then I was like doing crazy things, like just bootlegging everything I got my hands on, ran up the credit like crazy, stopped paying the IRS taxes. It was just be basically became a criminal, like just trying to get every dollar I can, like just screw it, because I could see you could manipulate stuff. When I did, I was like, you know, I'm gonna shut down Planet Z and just open another one called Rosie's on the other side of town, downtown, where there's more foot traffic, because a lot of people didn't want to come to East Tucson, and um, they still don't. But um. So yeah, I moved to downtown right there. I called it Rosie's after my mother, and it was mostly just records, b-boy stuff, things like that. Okay, and then at what point did you actually start kind of engaging in music? Was that later? No, well, I would make. No, I was always like start. That's when like when I got the store, I started like learning how to beat juggle. Okay, and so you were like DJing. And yeah, like now that's what I would do. I would get like all the newest records out from like t this place called TRC Distribution. And um, I would like make my own blend tapes of the hottest things out, like the hottest hip hop out. And I'd sell them for like, you know, five or 10 bucks. And then you could decide if you know that I had the record right there. You know what I'm saying? I'd always get the, all my new records. I would always make a blend tape, every shipment I got. So you could also hear on a DVD. Some people, you know, they didn't have turntables. Right. Some people wanted to just maybe peep it out first digitally inside the store before they go buy the record or whatnot. You know what I'm saying? Yes. Because I only have two turntables. It was like people would like literally come in and like have battles all day. So like, dude, you're not going to get a turntable right now. It'd be like a line of people. So do you have any of those tapes still? Or? I got, yeah, they yeah. do. Yep. I see, I see a couple, I think on Discogs, I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, but yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I see them floating around. I, I have a couple of them. That's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. You should uh, maybe record one of those and throw it on They're SoundCloud dope. or something. They're dope. Like, you can hear my blends and everything, scratching, all that shit.
what what was going on after that, man? Like, how did uh, I guess was it? It went from Planet Z to becoming Rosie's, Rosie's and then how did Rosie's play out? Um, I was only there for a year and a half, and I ended up going to prison again. Well, not pr- yeah, I got locked up. Okay, and yeah. what what did you get locked up for? That was the last time I got busted for drugs. They got me for conspiracy to sell three three hundred pounds and like I think a half a key of cocaine. Okay. Yeah. So that sucked. Yeah. Because they they're like you're never getting out. Like I kept getting lawyer after lawyer, and they're like, dude, this is those four felonies right there. You already been to prison, you know, or got you already been to prison. So like, you're never getting out. And so I was like, holy cow, what am I gonna do? And I had like 30, 40 grand left over, and I was just telling my mom, just put it. I already had a kid by then. My son was like super young. He was only like one or two. So I was like, just you know, put this money in for his like college degree or for his college funding, and just so I could think. I did something for my kids. I don't feel like too much of a piece of crap. You know what I'm saying? And she got that money and went out and got uh, Walter Nash behind my back. And that's when everything changed for me. He's like the, one of the most famous drug lawyers on the whole international southwestern border. So he got Jaime Figueroa Soto off, which I'm going to write a book about. Okay. Yeah. So then did your... I guess your sentence got reduced or something. Well, yeah, her. we were fighting they, about it. We yeah. uh, we we could physically prove that um the way they got the the um search warrant was illegal, and then we found out that the same uh, U.S. Customs agent who raided me um lied in another case, um an actual Russian ammunition case. We're talking like train loads of ammunition, and they busted this person and they got off too because this guy laid in the war. So this guy's got like you know a bad you know tenure of like lying and stuff like that and, and so just a bunch of crazy stuff my house was actually broken into the day before i got raided and they found all my cocaine all my drugs all my money but they didn't take anything so that's kind of weird and then found out you know because my lawyer's friends with the judge and half the people in tucson he was like he even told me he's like oh yeah I, I was u.s customs i went to your house we can't prove it but i know and so just things like that and then things started really happening in my case you know they want to like it went from 10 years to like two and a half years of uh, a plea. I remember crying. I was like, dude, where do I sign? So then uh, I signed a plea agreement for two and a half years to go back to prison. And then the date I went, and that's how I changed my whole life around. I started like working on airplanes and like cleaning up. I didn't mess around with nothing. I literally changed my life around for my kids for that last year while I was fighting that last case. And, so were uh, you in prison when you were? I was in jail for a while. And I, when I got Walter Nash, they wouldn't let me out because I was on a pro fucking violation. Right. Um, and then Walter Nash got me out because he's got so much power. That in itself is a crazy story. But um, yeah, so I was fighting it. And um, when I went to get sentenced for my two and a half years, I was doing so well. And the pro, uh, prosecutors and the all those people who were like kind of recommend what your sentence is were so mad they didn't even show up to my sentencing. And because a judge was friends with my lawyer, he's like, you know, what? I'm not going to even sentence you to prison. He's like, you're doing well. I'm going to give you a year at work furlough, and I'm going to give you five years of in-house probation. He's like, but if you so much as spit on the streets, you're, you're going back forever. If you're in California, you'd be getting doing 25 years. You you know, you just three rules. You know, what I'm saying so, and I have never gotten in trouble since. I'm not, you know, I haven't. It's been knock on wood. Yeah, of course. You know what I'm saying? So that was that, man. Yeah, but that's like a, a testament to having a good lawyer, man. Like, yeah, it changed everything, dude. Yeah. It was crazy. Um,
so then you got out and kind of had like I guess a new lease on life, like sort of a new outlook for sure. Totally, that was and like right. What what made you kind of start getting into? Was it like mechanics or like? Yeah, it was just like, all. I just needed a job because right. like you know I needed a job. They were you know I'm not gonna run, but they wanted me running the store. They knew I was selling drugs out the store, so right. they're like your store is done. So I ended up selling it to MERS while I was locked up. Um, and then I came out and just became a mechanic because my uncle worked at an uh, aircraft mechanic place. He was like, I'm just going to get you in as you can work as a helper or whatever. You know, just, you need to get a job. And I did that for a year. So it looked good, you know, on my record before I got sentenced to the judge and to the courts and stuff like that. But now things are, now I build rockets. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly when you started to like make music. Yeah, that's, record, that's what it was. Yep. Record music was around yep. then. House as well. arrest. I could not yeah. get out. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, I loved that part. I wish I can go back to that time to spend time with my kids. But at the same time, it was probably the most boringest time of my life. You know what I'm saying? Right. Just can't leave the house. And it was just like, you know, married life. You go from this crazy lifestyle to like slowing down as slow as you could possibly go. And by the time, my brother had always been into music, making music. You know what I'm saying? And uh, Right. And he, your brother is who? Nathan No Face for Crime Kills. Yeah. Um, he's on all you know a lot of my stuff. You probably you guys have to know him. He's great. Yeah. He's on a Hit and Run Records. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So my brother was already doing music and he was just like, dude, you need to like, you know, not only make mixtapes, I was still DJing, like, but like, who am I going to make a mixtape for? There's no even a store open in Tucson right now. So I had all these records and I was like, you know what? Start looping, make samples and start making beats. And, you know, that's he would show me how to do it. And I was like, whoa, it opened up a whole new world for me on how to create because I was already into graffiti and stuff like that but I had never created like made a beat the first time I made a beat it was like amazing you know what I'm saying yeah like when like, you finish a beat and you can like, like listen oh to it in your God. car I can yeah, literally like take that I always wanted to like loop that record and now I can you know <laughs> so yeah. it was super cool and when you so you were making beats were you like singing yet or no, doing anything no, like that no nope. it was all about hip hop I just couldn't get people to like rap on the beats I wanted or if they ever did they sounded like horrible so then one time I was like, okay, just let me record. This is after like a year or two of making beats. I was like, all right, let me go ahead and try to rap on one. And I remember rapping on one and I remember like uh, playing it for my brother. And my brother's the nicest guy in the world. He'll hear like the, the worst thing for you and be like, oh, that's great, you know? And I played it for him and I just remember he was just like, oh yeah, you know, maybe you should try to sing or do something different. And as soon as he said, I was like, oh, he hates it. <laughs> it was horrific. Never rap again, Zach. And I never did. So I started singing, started just doing like weird vocal stuff, you know, like vocoder stuff or like tweaking stuff out just to like make it weird indie, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's how I came to be to where I am, you know? Did you have any like musical influences that you feel like maybe that, that you followed in their footsteps or maybe like made you want to <sighs> sing like that? Or was it just kind of like messing around? No, like it comes just... back to like, oh, it came back to like my early childhood to like you know robotics and the egyptian lover and like i want to do this weird shit but like how come i can't use a fucking you know vocoder to sing over an indie rock song or like just a fucking banjo you know how come it has to be so and such you know it has should be contrast you know so i was always always about that make a beautiful song or, or sing about something evil or like do some dope vocoder but like not nothing hip-hop or funk you know what i'm saying on some maybe cry indie rock stuff you know right so we were just always doing weird things just experimenting just straight up experimenting 
And were you like putting your music out? I mean, I think at that no, time we were maybe just stacking. We were just stacking, just stacking, stacking, stacking. Just, stacking. And like yeah. me and my brother were playing back and forth, you know, and just like, how do you do this or how do I make that? You know, we just try to teach people like, just me and my because I got my brother a job, so we'd go to work every day in the car and just play what we made the night before. You know, what I'm saying All back right. to work. Yeah. And so it was like, that's how it started. So it just became like a ritual every day. I got like, one. Yeah. Go to work, then you get yeah. back. Like you can't go out and yeah. do anything, so it's just like work on tunes. Yeah. Yeah. And I started getting better, you know what I'm saying? I started to learn how to make beats kind of good. And then everything, because I was all like saying to like, this is like Ninth Wonder, Mad Lib. You kind of starting to learn how, oh, I can see how they did that. I see how they filtered out that and just took the bass line and just threw some drums on it. Right. And it doesn't become as mystique anymore. And it was like, oh, yeah, I think I can do that. You know what I'm saying? And then all of a sudden, a good friend of ours in Tucson, my brother's best friend, Tony Nicoletta, took a Game Boy apart and started soldering chips and made some stuff that I called chip tune out of a Game Boy that I had never even heard before. And it just blew my mind because they were like, it was just like some Nintendo sounding stuff. And it was just a, literally a Game Boy, no computer, nothing else. And he could like literally program the jumps on this thing. My brother would start singing like the Ramones on it. And it had never heard this type of stuff anywhere in the world. And you're talking about a guy who owned a record store and like been listening to records his whole life, you know, and just like, what is this music? That's how it, that, you know, we were just like trying to like one up each other who can do the most weirdest stuff, you know? Right. Just like who has the craziest style, kind of totally, like graffiti totally, battles totally, sort of things. Totally, yeah. totally, Um No, that's sick. So, yeah. so how did, I guess, you get discovered by that's the when public we, or how did you push? Right when that like, happened. Was it, it was that chiptune sound? Yeah, that like, chiptune yeah. sound. That's when I was starting to get better too at my sound. I also had like, you know, maybe four or five really solid songs, you know, that I could actually show somebody around the same time. Um, Bombs was one of them yeah. And so I sent that And all the Crimes Kill stuff To uh, I was on MySpace Checking out everyone Kuma uh, Flying Lotus And everybody And sent it to those crowd And it, they bit They bit instantly And yeah. it all changed After that sending shit out to producers and did anybody like hit you up to put something out like on a label or well Kutma put out a couple of our songs on a mixtape and then uh, where's Kutma from again well he's from London but he lived grew up in LA okay Silver Lake 
and uh, he was down with everybody, Stone's Throw, and you know, and a brain feeder at the time. So it was perfect at the time. And uh, yeah, he was just he threw on a couple mixtapes with uh, I think it was Coleman B plus from Ochilla. And it was like Mad Lib was on it, and it was just next thing I know, some MySpace just started hitting me up. You know, what I'm saying people from all over the world. And then uh, he had a friend, Brandy Flowers. He's a good friend of mine. I didn't know him at the time. He was like, "We're gonna put you on Hit and Run Crew because all these other labels aren't messing with you, man. They need to be." You know, at the time he was talking about, you know, I don't like to say any names. Don't get me started. I promise <laughs> I was gonna start dropping names. But at the time he was playing like big names right now that are on the scene. And they weren't really biting at the time, you know what I'm saying? And he was like, dude, we're just going to send you to Brandy a hit and run. We're going to put it out and they're going to fucking, you know, hook you up. And that's how it started, you know? So was that, uh, this is my force funk sound? Yep. Yep. And what was that? Like 2009? 2009. Yep. Okay. And that came out like as a, as a CD or like just a like a mixtape CD. Or, okay, just like cool. a mixtape CD. And then what happened because of that? Were you just continuing on the same path? Like? Then everyone started hitting me up for like collaborations. You're talking Daedalus, Salva, Tobacco, Anacon right. Records. I did Stone's Throw for uh, um, Baron Zen. I was on that. I wrote two or three songs for that album. So I mean, everyone just hitting me up at once and I'm just doing all these stuff like around that time. Right. And you were just basically like, if you felt the beat, yep. try and get loose on it. If yep. not, like yep. whatever. I tried a little bit harder back then. I don't do it as much anymore. I don't yeah. make half as much music as I did back then because I tried too hard. I don't do that anymore, but yeah, basically. So, like, what was next for you after that? Like, you're still in Tucson. Where you, did you start playing shows? That's what, or yeah, like, that's when everything changed. I started playing shows, and that opened up a whole new world because you're talking about I had just gotten off house arrest. So now I got off house arrest. Now I'm going in my, you know, mid-30s. Right. And I'm, like, doing shows, and these young girls are stepping to me after this. And then it was just like... The, my wife I, I wasn't never been married but I still call her my wife because you know, I was with her for 15 years my baby's mama you know we had a family together but she was just not she had just got I had her go through dental school and became a dental hygienist and was, she wanted to like hang out with doctors and like us change our life fully you know what I'm saying now, here I am just got off probation I just put this woman through hell for the past 15 years and now I'm gonna make like music with 20 year olds and she was just like it's not happening so we split up and it was just a really hard time for me around then because it was just like, man, this music thing is like changing my life. It's positive for me. I don't, you know, I need to do it. I have to do it. It's just part of my therapy. Otherwise, I know I'm going to get in trouble again. I can feel it. That's going to be all about money and girls and stuff like that. But she didn't like that. She didn't like the girls. She didn't like the scene. She was just all, you know, about bougie stuff at that time after that. And I don't blame her, you know what I'm saying? She's doing really well right now. My kids are doing well. Probably was a good thing. But I got super depressed at the time. And it was just like... I couldn't make music. That was the worst. That's when I, I never knew what depression was. Been in and out of prison, never felt depressed. And I felt depression for that first time for that one year. And it was worse than prison. I couldn't imagine anyone. That's weird that people, now I could see like depression's a killer, man, you know? But um, yeah, that was a hard time. I really couldn't, I would just end all that stuff with all those producers and making amazing music. And was just dealing with that depression and I couldn't make any music. And then tobacco hit me up and was just like, dude, we had already done a one track together for Anacon. And he was like, dude, I want to do a whole I want to do a whole fucking album with you. And I was like, whoa, are you serious? And he was like, yeah. And then that just changed everything. Like brought me out of my depression. Because he so, sent me like, you know, a file full of these amazing beats that were just like unlike anything out there at the time. And I was just like, dude, I'm back. I mean, that's going to be big. It's going to be a big project. And that's when we made Demon Queen. And that's when it, you know, it was cool, you know. So how long did it take you to record? That whole year. A whole year. It took me okay. a whole year. Yep. And then, did you like tour or do anything for the release? The first one, or? we did a West Coast tour first, and then we did a East Coast tour in 2014. So yeah, we toured the whole United States. Okay. East Coast, West Coast. 
Still working on jets. Yeah. Still working on jets. And yeah. that was all. There's like a big industry for that, right? In Arizona, there yeah. is for sure because it's a dry climate. They can't store planes there without them getting corroded. So there's a lot of aerospace jobs out there. Yeah. And what like uh, who were like the tight like musicians in Tucson like around that time? It like, was other, to other me. Uh, just me, my brother, his friend Tony. Yeah. Um, was was Druckman out there? He was out there too. But I didn't even know he played music back then. That's crazy. People show me that Druckman was making music in the early 2000s because I knew him back then. I didn't even know. And you know, did you know him from music or just from... No, I'm a, cause he's, he used he, to go to Planet Z when he was like six or seven on a skateboard. I knew his older sister, Rash, uh, Rashida, and uh, she was a DJ. She's a doctor now, believe uh-huh. it or not. Yeah, but she was super dope DJ, and uh, I just remember him as a little skater kid. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're talking about uh, the artist Reggie Blount. Yeah. Um, who put out some stuff on Clone. Great artist. He, we, we did a seven with you right. on it, too. Right. Um, but yeah, he was one of the, the people when I first started hearing like some of this new funk stuff mm-hmm. that I kind of blew me away at right. first, you know, when there weren't too many people out. And no then way. I saw that he had like put on YouTube all these like classic kind of like no funkster way. tracks. Yeah, that Crazy. like were all tagged under his name. Oh, dope. So it was like when I was learning about funk, it was like a lot of it was because of him. He's like, an aerospace engineer. He's like I know. One of the smartest people I know. And he makes rings. Yeah, dope ones. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, okay, so back to where we were. Um, put out Demon Queen, yep. toured on it. Mm-hmm. I assume the response was pretty good. And yeah, how, how, how. yeah, no, it was good. But, like, Tobacco always told me, he was like, dude, anything I do, it takes my people, like, a year to feel. And at the same time, um, when they put out the uh, record, they didn't have one of those, I forgot what kind of stickers they call it. There's some kind of ad, like, they should have put, like, on the top of the album, uh, 
you know, tobacco time Zachy Force Funk because yeah, hype stickers yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And they did it, and he was like, "Dude, people don't even know what Demon Queen is," you know, because it got great distribution. People were like just sitting in the album, like sitting. Yeah, in, like, they what just, is this? They didn't brand no. it so that people knew. Like, I already I like this no. artist. Like, so the first year, like no, it was like whoa, wah, wah. but now fast forward, now it's like we just sought out after record. You know right. what I'm saying? You can't. I don't. Even, they're not even out. You have to go hard looking for those things. Yeah, you gotta scour discogs. Right. So, but yeah. So then, what was uh, what was next for you? This guy right here, Axel Middleton, Eddie Funkster. That was around 2013, and I was just like breaking out on my. You know, I was going like just kind of like done with Tucson. Like you know, people had already you know like kind of knew me already. He was already done with the aerospace scene out there, and then. These guys sent me this beat called Press Play. Well, I don't even... Was it Press Play? I don't even know. I remember I called it Press Play. Yeah, XL, since... Uh, yeah, we have XL Middleton here what's in up, the studio XL? as well. What's up, XL? Yep, <laughs> I'm here. So, how did you first learn about, uh, I guess, Zaki's existence? Um, Just, you know, from uh, around the scene, you know? This guy was, was making noise, you know? And, and I heard I heard that noise. Yes. <laughs> Basically, yeah, yeah. And then, like, did you were you shooting press play to like multiple people, or did you just send it straight to him? No, yeah, we we sent it to Zachy because yeah. I just yeah because I was like, like yeah that was it, it a fit, big tune you know? in the scene right for sure and to this day still right. gets played all the time. It seems like it's getting bigger. <laughs> yeah, well, it's a, which is a good thing, you right. know. I mean, that's only a good sign when a, a song remains classic. Right. But that's why I mean, I, you could just tell when I did that song, things were going to change. Like, just doing it, I was like feeling my whole soul get sucked to the West Coast. Right. Like, it was going to happen. Like, dude, and it did happen at the end of that year. And you you were still in Tucson, though. Yeah. This okay. is like, the, like, I made it, like, I think June of 2013. Right. And, like, uh, the end of that year is when I came out here. Okay. To LA. And then, XL, what did you see in the response when you released Press Play? Um, it took a second because we had like a lot of mishaps with like getting a proper vinyl pressing, but once once it came out, um, yeah, I realized like this is gonna be a big song, right? Like a defining song, right? Let's play and then we start the move. 
what made you move from uh, from Tucson out to Long Beach? I fucking uh, I I, <laughs> I refused a, a urinalysis for like a random urinalysis at my job, and they were just it was like you know protocol to fire you, and it was such a, a small aerospace community in Tucson. You know, it's a big one, but it's it's still everyone knows everyone. They're like, yeah, yeah, you're not gonna work here, man. You have to go through some crazy rehab. I'm like, dude, I just smoked weed. And they're like, yeah, you're not going to work here anymore. So I was like, you know what, dude? My brother had already been out here working at Gulfstream, fixing jets, and it was doing, you know, good. So I was like, yeah, yeah, there's nothing for me to, there's no reason for me to be here anymore. My family's doing good. My kids had moved out. They went up to Phoenix and Scottsdale. So, you know, uh, there was nothing be for reason for me to be there anymore. So I moved to LA. I've been here ever since. You got a job at Gulfstream when you yeah. moved out here. Right. Okay. And did you know that you were going to get a job kind of coming into it? Or was it just like, let's move and see, roll the well, dice, see what yeah. I can find? Yeah, because at first, uh, cause, yeah, you're right. It kind of was like that. Because even though I was applying at the time, the background checks was kind of crazy. And uh, I had to go into as contracting so they wouldn't do a real uh, big time background check. By the time I went to Victorville and worked up to Victorville for like a month while I was waiting to see if I could actually get into Gulfstream. I actually got into Gulfstream for a year. And then that worked out great. <laughs> For a year, it worked out so good, and they wanted me so bad. They wanted to bring me on direct from contracting, so I did that. And then the first day I got, well, they brought me on direct. They, my background check finally came up that you know I had you know refusing your analysis and all that kind of stuff. So they literally got hired and fired the same day. And that was not only that, but then they also uh, turned me into the FA. So I was like, oh my god, they're like, you're never gonna work on planes again. And I'm like, what am I gonna do? For, this is how I put my kids through college. Like, what what am I gonna do? So that must have been pretty devastating, huh? It was, because like, yeah. I didn't know what to do. I was like, literally going to move back to Tucson and like into my mom's house at age 40. I was like, dude, what am I going to do? Go to rehab? Like, legit, go through rehab? Rehab. I have no choice but to go do what these people tell me to do so I can get back to work. And then I was just like, you know what? Let me try to go into the SpaceX program. And I had tried to get in before, and I failed to go into the position that I wanted to. You can only take the test once a year. And I tried to take it before I came out in 2013 before I went to Gulfstream and failed it. So I was like, oh man, I'm just, I'm just giving it a shot, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I tried it and I actually got in. I passed the test and killed the interview and I got into SpaceX and I've been there ever since.
So Money Green Viper came out when you were still at Gulfstream, yes. right? Yep. Okay. And then how, how did that album do for you? I it mean, did, did you see good. like... It did really good. Yeah. Because that's when Press Play was the first time it actually came out, I think was on vinyl, if I'm not mistaken. Or no, it was the second time. The second time, that's right. Yeah. And so, yeah, it did good. So like... And that at, for that album, you were pulling together like just bunch of different producers right like people that you even some of my production yeah and so. were people like sending stuff direct to you or yeah. were you reaching out to them like no, asking they were sending, for it no we were at this time by this time i'm already down with like kind of like the beat scene and like yeah i'm in the scene now so like i'm already yeah just collaborating having friends partying like mike gow and people like that you know right and did you have like a vision for that record in terms of like the look because i i always was like really uh hyped on like the actual cover no way like it was like cool, the cool, cool. kind of like the snakeskin vibe right, right. And like no i just and, knew i just wanted i always liked the name so i was like my first album would have called money green viper <laughs> yeah so then and then brandy them came up with the album cover and people dug it yeah no because cool. i remember like for me I, it felt cool because i was always into the beat scene stuff right. but i i loved all the new funk stuff that me was coming too. out to me that seemed like a, a crossbreed of the two exactly that's what yeah. i wanted i'm glad you said that yeah that's a perfect example um because those scenes can definitely yeah. like vibe me and Devin together. Who. Me and Devin who were on the same vibes, you know. That's why he's a good friend of mine. But similar, perfect example is he's a good artist to say that wanted to cross over the same way. Yeah. And then uh, I feel like Chrome Steel Tiger, that was what, like a year later or something Yeah, 2016. Like that? Okay. Two years and later, yeah. Si- similar vibe like with just getting More funk production. now this time. Now, now you can tell it started going less beat scene and more funk. Right. And you got to work with uh, like one of your childhood idols, Egyptian, Egyptian Lover. Lover. Yep. Yeah, and you had beats from like Brian Ellis. Yep. Uh, Dave and I yep. had you a guys beat on there. It. People yeah. love that song. I know, I'm stoked. All right. <laughs> it's fun to be a part of something like that. Yeah. Um, and that's when things started, you know, that's when I kind of came up to where my new albums come out to. Because right. I remember like the Brandy from Hit and Run Records, you know, they actually gave that to Mark Ronson at the time. Like Mark Ronson's like Liddy Bus, and he's just doing stuff with like Bruno Mars at the time. It's like when that first uh, Uptown Funk was, you know, so like now I'm starting to see like it was getting played on KCRW a lot. And like, okay, you know what? Like J Rock was playing it on his show. And it's like, you know, people are, they know now. They see they're taking ear, they, you know, they're starting to notice. Yeah. 
And were you getting hit up to play shows or tour or yeah. do anything like that? I, I mean, I that, that must be kind of hard. The next year, last year in 2017 yeah. is when it really felt like touring wise because I went all over the country last year just through Facebook posts. Right. Uh, because, you know, again, I work a lot. And so just through like, yeah, I went all over the country last year. So you're basically like working like 12 hour days during the week and then jetting off to exactly. wherever on the weekend yeah. and then just coming back and <laughs> That's doing like my a whole full life, week of dude. Work. I hate it. It can only <laughs> burn out sooner or later. It's going to have to stop. Yeah. Right. So what's it like working on rockets and sending them to space and watching them like... I mean, for me, it was a little bit different because... I, we, I what I just told you coming up through my whole past and just like coming up and just like even when I'm age 40 like going through like what am I gonna do like you know what I'm saying and like even when I'm going through like my well, I don't want to say my divorce but like my breakup you know to, dealing with her and this like people could say I'm a piece of shit you know like you're a loser trying to be a singer or you're like you're an ex-convict do something for your kids and you know now I'm building like historic space rockets that will be forever like in textbooks and like I was literally the ones who built you know top to bottom so some people might say it was just a job but for me at the time it was super special because it was not only exciting but it was like you know what I finally can say I accomplished something more that the average person cannot and so like yeah it was a good thing for me you know what I'm saying has it been tough kind of having that artist slash work balance? I mean, do totally. you get pushback at all or like... Well, with that, with, especially with that company, because when they found out that I was, when the music industry found out that I was working at SpaceX, it was like, oh my God, this is a great story. And then it was like, blew my music up, Chrome Steel Tiger up even bigger. Zach, I understand that you are uh, writing a book. Yep. But or, was, or is it written? Like, what, what stage? It. It's already been written, actually, for like a year, about all this crazy stuff we've been talking about now for the past half hour or so. 
But um, now it's uh, it got it was about to get edited, but now we're just gonna go ahead and uh, release it as is. So uh, it'll probably be through Hit and Run, so we can get a physical copy. But actually, next month I start recording um the uh, audiobook part of it. So it's done, but it's not released yet. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. So yeah, if you want to hear the the life story in more detail, um, check out Zach's yep. book slash audio. Yep. Download cassette, whatever yep. it happens. Hopefully to be. later this year, if not early next year. So that's All cool. Right. And how long have you been writing that for? It wrote, uh, a couple years, off and on. You know what I'm saying? Just like, man, when does it end? You know what I'm saying? It's like I was gonna end it, and then it go get hired at SpaceX, and then start releasing all these albums and then you go on worldwide tour i mean a, you know nationwide tour and i ended up did actually going to new zealand so like just adding things to it you know what i'm saying and spiritual journeys and things like that on the way things that happened through family and my son coming out to me just things that i needed to put in the book you know yeah and you know you can put it out and then like you know second edition can have like you know <laughs> the extra chapter that's or what everyone tells me Right. Yeah, so I wouldn't, like, yeah, don't get too hung up on, like, okay. completing the story because you got still it, got, got your it. life to live. Word, word. So you have a new album that's right. going to be coming out on Mo Funk Records and uh, it's called, pinnacle. what's the name of it? Body Rock Shotgun. Body Rock Shotgun. Yep. What You always have seems to be, like, a, a three-word <laughs> kind of uh Yeah, I'm just into names. syllables and, like, cool things that sound cool, you know what I'm saying? And, like, Body Rock is, like, I don't know, like, up boy, like, b-boy stuff, like, you know, up rocking and stuff like, shotguns, yeah. you know what I'm saying? It sounds cool to me, like, together, I don't know why. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And how long did you work on this album for? About a year, too. Year, too? About a year. No, about a year. Year, yeah. okay. And um, so you switched from, from being on Hit and Run to Mo Funk. Right. Um, I just why? thought that was the good thing to do. I mean, XL produced almost half the record, you know what I'm saying, like that, and I just didn't feel like... I don't give you know money to any of these producers who are awesome and like super cool enough to like actually go get in the studio and make a song just for me. You know what I'm saying? So like, it was, he made half the album. You know what I'm saying? So how my he had his own label, MoFunk, which is doing good at this time. So it was just it felt right for me just to go ahead and release it on that. It's mostly an all boogie funk uh, album, so it was just the right thing to do. Right. And what what other producers uh, contributed songs? Oh, uh, you talking Brian Ellis, uh, Pro Mike, Throwback Zach. Um, shoot, I, I'm, I'm forgetting people. Oh, Trailer Lamone, um, DJ Spidey, uh, who else? Uh, Elegant Bourgeois, I don't know how uh, to say it's, uh, it's Borzoi, I think. Oh, Elegant Bourgeois. Yeah. Hey, what's up? Um, yeah. right, right, right. Adam, oh, yeah, Adam, Adam Keeney, yeah. Jordan Keeney. Shouts to Adam The Keeney brothers have killed it. So, like, I mean, you're sitting here, I'm naming off like the who's who of the modern funk scene. So, like, I always tell people, you know, it's all about the production on this album. They just killed it. I could have just sat there and just home to gazoo and it would have sounded good you know what i'm saying so the production is just immaculate right and um who did the art work uh Mar marcoso olivia uh out in tucson olivas okay so that's like a tucson artist yeah a tucson artist kind of you know the kind of like you know has a tucson border background you know what i'm saying he's also from uh, el paso which is the same vibe as tucson on the border right uh, and so he just has the kind of vibe that you know he's starting to do good for a lot of people dj quick mers myself he's always starting to have like a reputation on this in the southwest for like doing graphic design for people so xl is there anything that you want to talk about with uh body rock shotgun july 20th i know right <laughs> release date yeah okay. i mean that, that's uh that's coming up in what like two yeah. weeks we just did a video yep yeah video's gonna be hot up oh yeah sure. yeah shouts to uh was it valerie yeah, who valerie. shot it yeah, yeah. Valley Bow. So that's gonna, gonna be crazy. It's gonna be cool. Yeah, we have a video coming out, so check all that stuff out. Alright, cool. And uh that's gonna be on YouTube, I assume For sure. when it comes I'm out. I might I don't know who's gonna premiere it. These guys he XL might know better. Well, yeah, he's still in the early stages. On it, yeah. Right, right. 
yeah I'm, I'm, if you follow yeah make sure to follow Zaki on Instagram and also right. on Facebook if you're on there Any, are you on Twitter or? yep What's your Very rarely Zachy Forsman But I'm hardly ever on Twitter Okay Yeah, yeah So you can kind of Watch the album roll out In real time and For sure Also see this guy's Observations on Life and uh, <laughs> work And things around him
love for like minimal wave music and uh, like sort of like proto prog electronic music come from. I know a lot of your beats right. either sample that or kind of right. have that vibe. And right. so for like just somebody like, that seems kind of hip hop, like right. it's. I was just curious about that. I think back then, all like when I was sampling hip hop stuff, like in the early days, like I was telling you guys about earlier with my brother and them, we would always like want to sample a kick drum or a snare or whatever. And like back then, we didn't want like uh, big snares that you know like cymbals and stuff like that we wanted these tight little crisp snares and we found out that the best place to get those were like minimal wave stuff or you know like new wave type, right. type of era and so we started finding stuff like that and uh, again online we started like digging and just you can find certain blogs the best one is a uh, flexi pop flexi pop is a great place to go look for all these minimal wave stuff and we would just get them and download them and sample them and it was just yeah man that stuff's amazing and do you think you're going to be putting out anything in the future in that vibe? I want or? to so bad because my brother right now is making probably the coolest minimal wave in the in the world right now. I think personally, at least the most progressive with great writing, and so I see him doing that. And like I just made this whole entire funk album for a year. I got to get away from it creatively, so now I want to like start doing some minimal wave stuff. I don't know if it's going to happen, but I'll always probably do something like that. Yeah, and uh, here's another kind of weird question i guess but um in trying to work with you i remember one time i tried to ask you like hey man you know i got I, I can get you into a studio and record you on the mic if you want and you were just like no i don't do that like right. i only record at no. home and right. so i was wondering if you've ever recorded like in a professional studio no. or done I've like seen one person see me record before and that was for love hour zero for demon queen because i wanted to have uh um, auto tune on it so I had to go to my friend's house and I was like alright well it doesn't matter if he sees me like make these weird expressions to hit these notes because he's going to make it an auto tune anyway but I, yeah I sing into a $15 broken USB headphone from Radio Shack that's got duct tape on it to this day um, I probably sabotage myself because I've had big name, name people step to me like and be like hey can we get you in the studio and I was just like yeah I can't do that they were probably just like oh, you know I could just feel it so but yeah whatever works you know yeah, no, definitely. So, you know, work within your own limits. It's it's good to be limited too. Right, right, you know what right, I mean? Because right, right. like, it makes you focus more on your decisions and no, not totally. just like go into a universe of choices. Right, totally. Yeah. Do you have any suggestions or advice for aspiring musicians or MCs? That style, be think about original style before anything else. That's what got me here. You don't have to be a great producer or know how to play the keys the best or know how to rap the best. You don't have to be the best, but if you have an own original style that no one else has, you'll stand out and people will find it intriguing and people will ask you to do features because they might want that certain style on a hook or whatever and you'll go a lot further. If it means you have to sample something and do it your own way, then do it. But just know that you are good, but you're going to have to do it through style and not technique. Zach, uh, thank you so much no for worries, coming man. in, thanks man. Thanks for coming out. You guys are my brothers, so thanks for having me. Zach, you got any parting words you want to shout out? No, anybody? Just peace and love. Keep your head on your shoulders, you know what I'm saying? Think positive. I know we live in a crazy world right now, but if you can change it just with thought alone, I know it might seem crazy, but just try to stay positive, you know?
listen to the new record, Body Rock Shotgun. Don't forget. Yeah, Body Rock Shotgun drops uh, July 20th. 20th. Yep, Mo Funk Records. Records. Yep. 